Good morning. As you heard, my name is Chad Clarkson. I'm uh, here today with one of my sons, Chase, is over there. I uh, told my other son uh, that we're going to you know, visit a church plant at the YMCA, so he was all excited about coming with me until he found out he couldn't shoot baskets uh, while I was speaking. So, uh, But good to be here. You know, I'm impressed uh, with your pastor here, Russell, uh, out running. If you didn't know, he's out running a half Ironman today. I actually brought from Clear Creek um, this picture. You see this. So if you could, could you have to sign this for me, just kind of so I can put it back in my office, uh, just I'm impressed with what he's doing, I'm just kidding. This has been in my office for like two and a half years, I mean Dryden, their youngest, isn't even in this picture. I think it's been in my office for like three years, uh, and so I'm, you know, ready to get rid of it, so. Uh, since he wasn't going to, so someone take that with him, with them today if they would, just make sure he gets that, you know, I'm tired of him looking at me all the time, my, it wasn't on my wall, just in the corner, don't worry about that. Uh, you know, Russell's really a good friend, and uh you know, I've just I've had a chance to really uh, kind of hear the story of Neartown and really be around uh, Neartown uh, kind of even when it was just a dream or kind of a glimmer uh, uh, in his eye and uh, Andrew's eyes and, and others. So for me to be here, I love being around new churches, but especially churches that have kind of had some relationship with the beginning uh, since the beginning. It's just really a, a cool thing for me. You know, I've been involved in church planning, and it's what Russell asked if I talk on that uh, today as part of this Restore series that you're kicking off. Uh, I've been involved in church planning for about 20 years now. It kind of dates me. I realize that. Uh, started off doing an internship with my uncle, who was a church planner in Colorado. Been, been involved in plant churches in South Carolina and Iowa about nine years ago. Uh, I had married a Texan. Hard to keep a Texan girl out of Texas. So we ended up back in Houston uh, about nine years ago, and I've been involved there. Serving as pastor of church planning missions at Clear Creek and also give leadership to a group we started a few years ago uh, called the Houston uh, church planning network. And when you talk church planning, you kind of usually get, you know, kind of, you know, kind of furrowed by brows a little bit. You know, what is that? Do you kind of help? Are you building the buildings? Uh, you know, what do you do? My favorite, I think all time, I think I was filling up a mortgage application one time, and I got this call and said, all right, it says you're a church planner, so you plant the shrubs and flowers around church buildings? And I said, yes, I love botany. I'm, I'm all into horticulture. You know, I'm all about that. Uh, so it's kind of confusing, you know, to people. Uh, now what I tell people, you know, instead of trying to explain the church planning thing, I just say, I coach and train uh, entrepreneurial leaders in the nonprofit sector. And hey, people, people tend to be impressed with that. So I kind of stick with that one when I'm traveling or on an airplane or something, uh, just to kind of explain what I do. But church planning, what we're going to talk about today is ultimately, you know, really the process that results in new churches being started. And hopefully new churches are being started is because a harvest is happening. Now, people are coming to know Jesus, and new churches need to start. And right now in our world, you know, it's, it's really an exciting time uh, to be alive. You know, I think there's more going on in the history of church uh, around the world uh, than, it, than has ever happened before. Um, you know, we could go to different places. We could go down to South America and go to Bogota, Colombia. And you think Houston has some big churches. I mean, there's a church there connected to the G12 movement that has over 100,000 people in it, you know, networked in cell groups throughout the city. We go over to Africa. We're now in Africa. There are more Christians in Africa, as followers of Jesus, than there are people in the United States. We could go over to Asia and see the work and the spread of the gospel in, in multiple countries over there, places like Korea, where in 1900, you know, Korea, South Korea, was considered you know, a country you could not penetrate with the gospel. And over the last century, now, now today in Korea, they say one out of every three people are a follower of Christ. In Seoul, Korea alone, there are 7,000 churches spread of the gospel. In India, 
India's got a billion people in it. So about 25 years ago, a group of church leaders began to, you know, dream together, pray together, and ask this, themselves the question, you know, what would it look like to really penetrate India with the gospel? And they came up with, you know, we need to start a million churches to reach a billion people. And at that time, they estimated there was 150,000 churches in India. Over the course of the last 25 years, about 300,000 church, 300, churches have planted, where now there's more churches in India than there are in the United States. We go to other places where China, for example, where now the Chinese church is the largest really ethnic church uh, in the world. So safe to say, uh, what's happened in our lifetime in terms of the spread of the gospel, the world, the world evangelism, it, it's just off the charts. And, it, and I, I would venture to say that in the last 30 or 40 years, in many of our lifetimes, there's been more people that have become followers of Christ in the previous almost 2,000 years of the church. So, you know, don't, don't let people think, you know, don't let people say or don't get down thinking, man, the church is, you know, uh, the glass is half empty. Because it's not half empty. The glass is three quarters full what God is doing uh, around the world. But taking a closer look, you know, what about us? When we see an expanding Christianity uh, here in the United States, you know, what do, I mean, expanding Christianity around the world, you know, here in the United States we see Christianity that seems to be contracting. And if we look at statistics... It tells us that. You know, there's a book that came out a few years ago called The American Church in Crisis that documents nationally about 17, 18% of people are in church on a Sunday. Uh, you go to even the edges of the state, uh, edges of our country, places like Boston, New York, Portland, Seattle. You know, the situation is even worse where you're looking at a church that's probably at 4 to 5% of the population. So I got some friends starting a church in Syracuse, and they say the evangelical populations there are probably somewhere about 1 or 2% people in the city would call themselves followers of Jesus. The U.S. is now considered the fourth largest mission field uh, in the world. And now we're even in the top ten of what is known as a receptor nation, or receiving missionaries uh, from other countries. So my heart, and kind of what I, my passion in ministry is to, you know, see something happen in the States, to see that turn around, where instead of us seeing declining Christianity, you know, we see it turn and see it, uh, once again, uh, increasing. And I'm a firm believer in order for that to happen, you know, it's going to take new churches. Uh, it's going to take thousands of new churches uh, throughout the United States, throughout the state of Texas, and in our city. So this morning, I just want to talk a little bit briefly just about, you know, what are some of the, what's the DNA, or what are some of the, some of the characteristics that new churches need to have uh, to multiply? Um, what do they need to have to really um, make a difference? Uh, in their city, and then talk a little bit about, you know, why, why is it so important uh, to plant churches? And I'm going to continue on. I, I'm thinking last week was Easter. Normally when you come in, you know, to guest speak, you kind of ask the speaker, you know, where you're at, you've been doing a series. I'm going to gamble, and then Russ will talk something about the resurrection, uh, something about an empty tomb. Uh, so we're just going to pick up, you know, kind of right after what happens. So Jesus rises from the uh, rises from the dead, uh, what he talked about last week, hopefully. Uh, so Acts 1-8 is where I want to pick up, the book of Acts. And really, the book of Acts is probably the greatest, it is the, the most important book on church planning. And really, the whole New Testament, I, I would even say, has a lot to do with church planning. Because it's really the New Testament books are really an, an anthology of uh, church planning. All the books are written uh, to new churches. So we pick up in the book of Acts, Jesus, uh, chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus is, has been around after he rose. He's been around about 40 days, uh, visiting different people here and there, and now it's the last time he's with his disciples. He's about ready to ascend into heaven, and he gives them some last words. And this is what it says in, in, in verse 8 of chapter 1. 
But you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus is taken, taken off, but he says, I'm going to leave you two things. One, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to be there, and we see that in chapter 2 of Acts. The Holy Spirit shows up and literally invades people. And the other thing he says, I'm going to leave you, I'm going to leave you a strategy. And my strategy is that you guys that are followers of me, you're, going to, you're not going to keep this good news to yourself. You're going to take it everywhere. You're going to start in Jerusalem, and then you're going to spread out to, to Judea, to Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. So Acts continues. Uh, the Holy Spirit comes in Acts 2. We begin to see the early formations of the church in Jerusalem and get an idea of what a, of what a church is supposed to be. They're worshiping, they're praying, they're experiencing really what I would call biblical community together. Uh, the church continues to grow. In verse uh, uh, 7 of chapter six, 6, it says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. So the church is expanding, growing. Well, that doesn't sit well with the religious leaders. They begin to get a little frustrated. People are falling. So what happens? Persecution begins to happen. Stephen's martyred in chapter 7 and you know, pretty much spreads the church out. They begin to take off, and it's really scattered uh, all over the Roman Empire. And really, that's really what God originally, what Jesus told them to do. Hey, you're going to be my witnesses. Not only here, but you're going to spread. And whether, you know, they would have eventually went, you know, maybe, let's hope so. But persecution definitely brought that on. So God said, God, brought, God brings persecution or he allowed it and the church takes off and spreads. So we see that continue on. And one of the places the church lands, or followers of Christ land, is in a city called Antioch. And that's really where I want to focus our, focus our attention on today in Acts chapter 11. Uh, beginning in verse 19. Because when I tell, when I tell church planners, if you want to model a church uh, in the New Testament, make it the church of Antioch. And, you know, I would call them Antioch churches, missional churches, whatever, whatever the phrase you'd want to use. But these are churches that, you know, win more people to Christ, train more leaders, start more small groups, send more missionaries, plant more churches. So I say model the church in Antioch. So Antioch, just a little bit about Antioch. Antioch is both an interesting and strategic city. At this time, it's the third largest in the Roman Empire next to Rome and Alexandria, about 300,000 people in the city, and very, a very cosmopolitan city, very much like Houston, uh, very diverse. It's a mel melting pot from multiple cultures. There's Persians, there's Arabs, Romans, Greeks. Uh, also a big, you know, sports were, sports were huge in this city. If you're, if you're clicking on Sports Center at night, you're going to be seeing chariot races. It was a big, a big thing uh, there in um, Antioch. You know, and with all of this also in the city, there was a definite, uh, deliberate uh, pursuit of pleasure. In fact, the city itself became a byword for decadent living, and right outside the city, about five miles, there was a temple uh, dedicated to a goddess of love named Daphne, and this temple had would house a number of prostitutes uh, who would ply their trade uh, for men uh, coming home uh, from work. So that's the city that these believers are, are going into. Let's pick up in verse 19. Let me read a couple of verses there. And, and now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except, except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them. And the great number who believed turned to the Lord. So this Antioch church is founded by believers who are escaping persecution. And I, you know, I love their response. Because I think if I'm hiding, if my life is in danger, I think I may be going to Antioch, maybe kind of hide out. I'm going to disappear, kind of weigh things, you know, wait a little bit, let things chill down a little bit. But that's not what the believers did. The believers automatically, and what the text said, they, they were about speaking the word and preaching Jesus. 
So I think one of the key characteristics of a new church that, that it needs to have is that they're continually they're planting the gospel. They're planting the gospel all the, kind of, all the time. And I think all the church planting, that's where it needs to start. It needs to start with the gospel. The gospel message that you talked about last week, that there's a God that, that we're accountable to, that wants to have a relationship with us. Sin has marred that, but Jesus Christ, because of his death on the cross, has made a way for us, uh, again, to have a relationship with him. And that requires a response, response for people. And so church planting you know, starts uh, with the gospel. It's not just about planting a church but it's about planning the gospel. Because the Bible, as I read the Bible, it doesn't really teach church planning. It assumes church planning. It assumes that people are coming into a relationship with him. Uh, so you need to organize them somehow. Uh, so you start churches. You know, when I, when I think in terms of planting the gospel, you know, lots of times people think, you know, it automatically it turns to, you know, kind of that nervousness. You know, your palms get sweaty. That means I need to go, you know, share Jesus with people. But I think, the, you know, Planting the gospel, yes, it does involve gospel proclamation, but I, but I would say it also involves gospel presence. It, it involves just living out the gospel wherever you're at, maybe you know, in the marketplace, where you work, in your neighborhood, uh, where you work out. But it's kind of seeing that gospel rubbed up against people and having gospel presence with people. But, it's also, but it is also you know, gospel proclamation. There comes a point where, yeah, you can build relationships with people for a decade, but there comes a point where you need to say, hey, this is who Jesus is. And that's really what evangelism is. It's really saying, all right, I'm someone who knows Christ. It's just sharing, sharing that with someone who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. And that's really what we see the, the Church of Antioch doing. And what I like about the Church of Antioch, you know, they share the gospel with everyone. There's a phrase there that says, but some spoke to the Hellenists. Now, the Hellenists, they, the people that were coming to Antioch, they were mainly just Jews. Now, the Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews, meaning they were, they were different than, than the normal people. This is a different group of people. So here we see the, book and the church in Antioch for the first time kind of crossing over those uh, social boundaries and saying, all right, this is a different people, but we need to take responsibility for them. And in fact, the Antioch church is really the first Gentile church that was made up of Jews, Gentiles, uh, people from uh, multiple uh, cultures. So what I like about the Antioch church, you know, they were willing to plant the gospel and they were really willing to take responsibility you know, for their geography, take responsibility for where God had placed them. For every man, woman, and child that that were there, you know, I get a chance to you know travel to different places, uh, kind of oversee our missions work, and I kind of I do oversee our missions work at church. I'm actually leaving for Ukraine tomorrow, and I'll be working with a bunch of church planners from Ukraine, Uzbekistan, Russia, Moldova. Um, when I go places like that in different places, you know, one of the striking factors uh, when I would say what characterizes a movement of church planning is that they have they really have that commitment. They have a commitment to see every man, woman, and child have a repeated opportunity to, get, to encounter Jesus, to both hear, understand, and give an opportunity to either receive or reject them. And they have that commitment. And when I'm meeting with them, it usually comes out with, uh, I can usually tell kind of the mission of that DNA, because usually they come out with a, a map at some time in our conversation. I've kind of adopted this phrase that missional people have maps. Because when they come out, you know, they begin to kind of, you know, it may start with a map of their city. Uh, maybe they're part of the city and saying, all right, here's where we're at. This is what we're doing on this block, this block, this block. This is where we need a church here. They pull out a map of their city and saying, you know, Kiev has five, five million people in it. So we're saying, you know, how do we reach here? How do we reach here? How do we reach here? Then it comes out with a map of their nation. All right, this is Ukraine. There's 50 million people. How are we going to take responsibility of every man, woman, and child? And it really starts with that, you know, planting the gospel. You know, they, they understand it's just, not, it's just not about starting a worship service that people can come to. Um, but they have that deep, 
really visceral commitment uh, to planting the gospel. One of the, church, one of the places I get to go on a regular basis is, is Cuba. And that, I, was back, I was there in January, and we, I've been going about uh, for the last five years. And I would say one place that I, that I probably go anywhere right now that I would say most looks like what I read about in the book of Acts is the church in Cuba. I mean, it's multiplying, growing, uh, expanding, you know, at an unbelievable rate. And we're working with church planters uh, across the island. And, you know, there's probably, you know, multiple reasons why the church is growing there. Uh, you know, the Spirit of God is obviously at work. Uh, there's gospel receptivity. Uh, people are responding. But I also think that the church in Cuba, uh, they have that kind of inner fortitude, uh, willingness to, to do what it takes uh, to see the gospel uh, planted. And then they work hard and they're very intentional about it. One of our partners is a guy named Noel, and he's got a team around him, about 30 people. And, you know, in this, in this team, they're, you know, made up of different gifts, uh, passions, heart, but they're really going from place to place throughout central Cuba, uh, starting new churches. And we started working with him in 2009 and kind of seeing the growth of, kind of his network of churches, where last year we were kind of doing a report on 2012. There are up to 55 churches in four years. And I'm like, all right, Noel, what's going on? We're not seeing that in the United States. So what, you know, what are you doing? What are you, you know, telling me about? Started unpacking that. And I think what stood out more than anything else was their commitment to plant the gospel. He said, you know, in our, our church, our team of 30 and probably that next band of close disciples, you know, we, we shared the gospel. We proclaimed the gospel with 20,000 people last year. I said, what? What? <laughs> Say that again? He said, yeah, 20,000 people. I'm like, 20,000 people. And out of that, he said, 3,000 made professions to follow Jesus, and out of that, they baptized, you know, a whole bunch. And I was just kind of reflecting on that, thinking about that, you know, for our unit, for the United States, and even at our church, and I'm thinking, you know, we're a good-sized church at Clear Creek, and there's no way uh, that I think we proclaim the gospel uh, 20,000 times. But that's what it takes. You know, it takes uh, a church committed to saying, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be committed to, you know, sharing the gospel, uh, to being aggressive about that. Um, and that's what that's what they did in church, that's what they did in Antioch, and that's what they did in Cuba. Text continues, uh, verse twenty-two. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So here's what's going on: the ears of the church, Jerusalem, heard that something's going on in Antioch. So they send Barnabas, one of the key leaders of the church, known as really an encourager, and he gets there, sees the grace of God, sees something going on, uh, sees the spirit at work, and what's he do? It says he exhorts them, and that word exhort, it's a powerful word. You know, it means he urges them, he pushes them, he presses them, he encourages them. What? To remain faithful to God, to Jesus, with steadfast purpose. Be faithful to God, keep your relationship with him pure uh, stay focused on him, but also make sure that that is that relationship is with purpose. And you know, this when I when I read that, I just think about the importance of what Barnabas challenged them to do. And I really think that's really another key characteristic of, church, of new churches: what they need to do. You know, they need to persevere. They need to say, despite of how hard this is starting a new church, uh, we need to persevere and, and stay with it. You know, I tell church planners if there's something else you can do, uh, go do it. Because church planning is, is, is difficult. Uh, there's going to be discouragement. You're going to be, you know, there's going to be nights where you're going to be up and thinking, man, what am I doing? I need to go get a job. I, I can go sell cars. I can do whatever. I'm sure there's been nights where Andrew and Russell uh, have probably uh, felt that. 
But if I could play the, the role of Barnabas with you this morning, and from a church, Clear Creek, that really cares about uh, near town and seeing uh, this church become uh, a church that's going to make an impact throughout the city. Um, you know, I just want to tell you to, to keep going, to keep going. Um, I am thankful for every, every one of you that calls yourself a part of this church. Uh, I thank you. I'm thankful for the commitment that you have made to be part of a new church, to see it really birthed out of nothing. Uh, realize that you're, you're really part of a miracle. When you think of new church, when you think of birth, anytime a baby is born, that's really a miracle. And the birth of a new church, uh, it, it's a miracle. So I'm thankful uh, to you guys uh, that are planting a church here in Houston, that are planting a church in the city, uh, that are planting a church for busy people uh, to see the, the peace of God uh, in their lives. So just keep going. I know there's days, I'm sure all of you feel like, man, is this church going to keep, is it going to make it? Gonna, I mean, that's the kind of the life of church planting. And I uh, just want to encourage you to say, hey, keep going. Especially encourage those uh, who are kind of invested in there. I know all of you are invested in this church. But thinking of the people that I would, I would say are on this team that are involved in leadership, guys like Andrew, JJ, uh, Russell, you know, do what you can. Uh, speaking from a former church planner, uh, someone involved in church planning, you know, do what you can to encourage them on a regular basis. Not, you know, uh, coat their ego or anything like that. But you know what, you don't have to mean by that. Uh, but just encourage them. Whatever, whatever it takes, saying, hey, I'm going to look Russell in the eye whenever, whenever he shows back up. I'm going to look Andrew in the eye and say, hey, thanks for your commitment to lead this church. And uh, we're committed to uh, doing this with you because that will go a long way. So keep, keep persevering. Next, the text continues in verse 25. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So Barnabas says, let's go get Paul. And, you know, Bar Paul is not on Barnabas' speed dial. It's actually been about, since Acts 9, where, you know, Paul comes to know Saul, who becomes Paul knows Jesus. It's actually been about 8 to 10 years. So now Paul is back on the scene. And this is probably the decision by Barnabas to go get Paul is probably the single most important decision in all of uh, Christianity or the, the growth and the, the future of the church because it's Paul who's really going to begin to kind of invest in this church and disciple them and, and train them. And this is where the church first becomes known as, you know, they become known here as Christians. And Christians, this was not, this was probably a derogatory thing. You know, this wasn't saying, hey, the Christians type thing. I mean, this was probably a derogatory thing. And, you know, they call them Christians really to kind of say, hey, you're little Christ. You're always talking about this Jesus. Um, but this, but what was going on in them, you know, uh, you know, really what Paul was doing, uh, they were producing disciples. That's really the third characteristic. That, that new churches do that are making a difference. They're, they produce disciples. And that's what was happening in the church. People are experiencing the life of Christ. Uh, they're getting to know him, having a relationship with him. Their relationships with others are changing because of this relationship. And it can't help, you know, what's going on inside of you when you have a real relationship. It can't help but bubbling out to what you say. And you're going to be talking about Jesus and, and what you do. You know, that's really what... Uh, discipleship is. There's a guy named Dallas Willard. He says, a disciple is someone who is determined that the most important thing is to find out what Jesus said to do and do it. And remember the first, you know, this first, this book written to the first century church, you know, it's called the book of Acts for a reason. It's not the book of truths. It's the book of Acts. Uh, they were an active church. They realized that it wasn't about, that it wasn't just about no, knowing Christ, but they had a responsibility uh, to go do something. And, and do something they did. Uh, in Acts 13, that uh, it kind of transitions the new church. Um, 
really, chapter 13 is really a transition in the whole book. And it's uh, 13 starts off. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niagara, Lucius, Manian, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Paul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So Antioch uh, not only was making disciples, not only being a persevering church and planting the gospel, but they had also realized, you know, we can't keep this to ourselves. That we got, even though we're a new church, we're a new group of believers, uh, we got to keep uh, planting churches. And that's what new churches do from the beginning. They say if a new church doesn't plant a church within the first three years of its existence, chances are it probably never, never will. So I appreciate the commitment that Neartown, even, that even as being a young church, uh, still has to church planting. So Antioch, the Antioch Church, I mean, they understood their mandate. They realized, they understood that the church doesn't exist for itself, but the church exists for those who are still uh, yet to be a part of it. And that's what they were committing to do. And they were committing to send out their best people to make that happen. They sent out Paul and Barnabas. It was going to be a hit to the church, but they committed to sending them out. They committed to, to sending out and, and being strategic about where they went. So if you read the rest of Acts, where they sent Paul and where they sent this team of missionaries, they would go in, to strategic places. They would go to strategic cities, always to urban centers, the biggest cities. And what they would do there, uh, they would plant uh, They would plant churches. Um, you know, really, this, Tim Keller says, this means Paul had two controlling assumptions, that the way to most permanently influence a country was through its chief cities. And the way to permanently influence a city was to plant churches in it. And when that had happened, Paul would move on and go somewhere else. So what about today? You know, you say, all right, that's, that's great for Paul. That's great for the early church. But there were, there were no churches at that time. You know, they didn't, have to, they didn't have to do that. But what about today? You know, why, why plant today? Why in our country? Why in Houston? Why in this near town area? Why inside the loop? And, you know, I've been around church plenty enough that, you know, I've heard a lot of the objections to it. You know, there's already plenty of churches. You know, we don't need any more. Let's get these churches filled, filled church. You know, new churches hurt the existing church. You know, if you plant a new one, we're going to lose people at our church. You know, let's help the struggling churches first. Um, I've, heard, I've heard a whole bunch. But let me leave you a couple of reasons why I think this is why we plant churches. First of all, I think there's a biblical, a biblical mandate. You know, we're supposed to plant churches. It's very clear. You know, I read Acts 1-8. You know, if we go back to Matthew 28 where Jesus says, you know, go into all the world and make disciples and baptize them. When you do that, you're, you're, yes, you're planting the gospel. But when you baptize them, uh, you're incorporating them. Uh, part of baptism is you're being incorporated into a body of believers, into the community of faith. So there's some organization there that needs to, that needs to take place. So, you know, while the church can do a lot of good things. And there's a lot of, a lot of things that I think the church needs to do and should be, should be doing, you know, both here in Houston and around the world. But I think ultimately that, that the church needs to be about planting the gospel that will see new churches planted. At Clear Creek, one of the things we say is we want to do missions that results in new churches. And we do a lot of missions. We, you know, we're involved in helping build wells, uh, helping kids that are impoverished around the world. But it's always kind of with this undercurrent behind it of saying, all right, how, how can we see a new church or a new body of Christ followers emerge out of this. So I think it's a biblical mandate for us to plant churches. Another thing, another reason why I think, you know, why we should plant churches is because I think it's natural for the, ch the church to do. It's natural. And what, what do I mean by that? You know, God designed the church to really grow and reproduce. The church is what's known as, it's really a living organism. And if you look around creation, every living creature was really kind of created with the capacity to cre create life. You, know, you don't need to teach things to reproduce. 
It's just something they do naturally. And when we release kind of what's uh, in the church, what's in, innate in the church, you know, hopefully that's going to come out naturally. You know, I firmly believe when, when Christians are healthy, they're going to reproduce other Christians. When leaders are healthy, they're going to reprodu reproduce other leaders. And when churches are healthy, when that kind of that DNA uh, of the church is released, uh, they're going to reproduce other churches. And church planning, you know, really involves something that I believe is, is very counterintuitive and counterintuitive. You know, most people say, all right, if, yeah, we, okay, we'll plant, we'll plant a church, but let's wait to plant a church uh, until we grow. You know, it's important. Let us get established. Let's that, uh, let us get bigger first, and then we'll do it. Well, the gospel, as Colossians says, is something that's alive and growing in the lives of people. And what I tell, what I tell planners is, or new to churches all the time, don't wait until you grow to plant a church. You actually plant a church to grow. And it almost sounds opposite a little bit, but when you release the people, the Holy Spirit does something. You release new people to plant, uh, you have a chance to see the gospel saturated in a new area. And what seems to happen every time in churches that are committed to church planting, God brings new people. New people step up at the established church that sent out new churches uh, to step into roles of leadership, serving, what, whatever, whatever those may be. Uh, but that happens when we really release the, the power of, of the church. And, you know, so I just encourage you at Neartown, if you guys think about planning a church, you know, where's, the, where's the next church for you guys in Neartown, in this area? Where are the next two to three churches? What is God uh, stirring up in you and as a church? Other thing I think it's important, why, why, why we're supposed to plant new churches is because new churches are evangelistically, you know, more effective. You know, there's been do dozens of denominational studies that have confirmed that the average new church gains most of its new members, about 75%, from the ranks of people who are not attending any worshiping body, while churches over to 10 to 15 years are going to gain about 80 to 90% of new members from transfer from other congregations. That means that the average new congregation will begin to bring about six to eight times more new people into the life of the body than older congregations do. And in fact, even if you looked at statistics on baptisms, for new churches, you're seeing about, a, about almost 12 people getting baptized for every 100 people. For other established churches, uh, that's going to be more like about three people uh, for every 100 churches. So their best, new churches are best at reaching new generations, best at reaching new people groups, best at reaching uh, new residents uh, to a city. Tim Keller says the only way to increase the number of Christians in a city is to plant thousands of new churches. To plant thousands of new churches. And when that happens, it not only raises the evangelistic temperature in a city of, of new church plants, but it raises the evangelistic temperature of all the churches in the city as they see what's happening. Final reason why I think we need to plant churches is, you know, there, there is a need. There is a need for new churches. If you look at statistics... Or you look at history, in 1820, it tells us there was about, in the United States, about one church for every 875 people. And from 1860 to 1906, there was a great church planting boom here in the United States. And those rates went for one church being, uh, there was one church for every about 430 people. Well, after kind of World War I, uh, church planting kind of began to plummet, probably for a lot of different reasons. One of those being kind of turf wars be between churches and a lot of other things probably uh, happened, you know, uh, happened because of the decline. But anyway, church planting uh, began to decline, and now we look at the United States where, you know, who, who knows what those rates may be. For Houston, my estimates say there's probably a new church, there's probably one church for about every 1,500 
people in Houston. One church for about 1,500 people. Now, missiologists are those who study kind of the importance of, of, of mission for the church. Says really to reach a city. If you're going to reach a city, there needs to be a, a new church for, or there needs to be a church for every thousand people. So Houston, we have. Um, you know, when I think about Houston, there are six million, almost six million people in our city. A church for about every almost 1,500 people. Now, Houston is also growing at a rate of about 25, and I say Houston, the greater Houston area, probably eight county area. The greater Houston area is growing at a rate of 2,500 people every week. That's been our past growth, and that's what's projected for the future. That's a lot of people uh, moving to the city. So you think of just in terms of that, you know, even to kind of keep pace uh, with, kind of the, with kind of the growth that's happening, we really need to be planting uh, in Houston about seven or eight churches uh, every month just to kind of keep pace with the, with the population growth. Now, if you combine that, if you think, all right, if we're really going to, in the next 20 years, where we'll have almost 9 million people in Houston by 2035, you know, if you look at, you know, what's going to happen with the growth rate, if we want to say, all right, we want to try to reduce that rate instead of a church for every 1,500 people, you know, we want to we try to get to a rate of a church for every 1,000 people. That, that means we're going to have to plant about 20 churches uh, every month to be able to get to that rate. And the thing about that, uh, Neartown can't do that. Clear Creek can't do that. Uh, it's going to take a greater body partnership uh, of the whole church to say, you know what, we're committed uh, to reaching our city uh, by planting new churches. And we're going to have, you know, opportunities galore to plant churches like us, to plant churches that aren't like us. You know, there's a million people in Houston that were not born in the United States. To, re to reach different uh, people groups, there's, I think, 215 languages uh, different first languages spoken in the Houston Independent School District, over 300 ethnic groups representing the city. That's going to take a whole, a whole bunch of, of new churches uh, to be able to reach, uh, reach, these people, reach, reach people and reach our city. So I'm hopeful. You know, I think there's, I think there's some cool things happening in this city. Um, you know, I'm involved in the Houston Church Planning Network. Russell and Neartown is, uh, is a part of that. And uh, together we're really trying to network different groups that have a heart, different denominations, different tribes, uh, different networks, and say, you know, what can we do together to see, church, to see churches planted and to see Houston reached uh, with the gospel? So Neartown, uh, I just want to leave you with, you know, we, we need you. Uh, we need you as a player in the game of a church that's going to be planting uh, new churches. So let me, I'll, I'll leave you with, with that. Let me just, uh, let, me, let me close in prayer. Uh, 